Hey everybody, this is Joseph on behalf of the Impactful Coaching Podcast. Just wanted to let you know upfront that with recording this episode of David Fisher, the internet was not our friend today. So if you listen to the audio version, you'll be fine. But if you are watching this on video, you're going to see some desyncing. We've done the best that we can in post to minimize it, but unfortunately, there was only so much that we can do. I just prefer to be upfront about this when it does happen, which it's not too often, but here we are. So nonetheless, this episode is every bit as good as everything else that I've had the opportunity to work on with this project. So nonetheless, I'm sure you're going to love it. I learn about myself and then I'm always spending this time of reflection afterwards, not just what did I do well, what do I need to improve upon, but, but who am I? Because I just kind of, I'm very vulnerable in my speeches. So I, I generally, there's a, there's a human connection. There's an element there where I feel like I can trust anybody in this audience and they feel they can trust me too. Our ever-changing world calls upon the most courageous, resilient, and relentless of us to face its most extraordinary challenges. To help you embark on this journey, we present the Impactful Coaching Podcast, your oasis for inspiration and a beacon to spark the fires of greatness within you. I'm Joseph. I will be your ally in this journey to empower your potential. Join us each week as we dive deep into the heart of ambition, drive and success to unravel compelling stories of daring leaders who dreamed, struggled and achieved victory. Our journey begins now. How is everybody doing? My name is Joseph and welcome and slash or welcome back to the Impactful Coaching Podcast. As always, I got into podcasting 10 years ago thinking I was just going to sit around and talk about video games with my friends. And it took me 10 years before I got to do a program where I get to do that. But it transformed into so many interesting career paths in so many different industries and it's a great privilege to be able to talk to a lot of great people in broadly speaking the coaching space but there are so many uh, niches and specifications within it so my guest today david fisher first things first this is not even question zero this is question negative one but how are you doing today how are you feeling i'm doing i'm doing fantastic it's been a, a crazy busy but exceptionally good week I'm tempted to start this combo chain where I just start asking up front how what is each person's travel habits in the hopes of living vicariously through people. So any recent trips lately that you're just coming off from? Not that I'm recently coming off of, though in about three weeks I'll be in New York City, which I'm really excited about because I haven't been there since I think I was 13 years old. Oh, yeah. Uh, wow. And my grandparents were from New York City, and so I haven't been there for a long time. So I got to go back and revisit, but really it'll be a fresh new eyes looking at New York City again. I'm in Vancouver now for you know people who don't know. Okay, right on. I'm a Torontonian myself. I, uh, in, in terms of competition, I don't think our provinces or cities meant to compete over housing prices, but it is is a race to the bottom. On that one. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, it sure is. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of neck and neck. <laughs> All right, with that, would you be so kind as to let us and the audience know what you do and what you're up to, particularly as a story amplifier? I I haven't seen that specific title yet across my career experience, and I'd like to know how much of that is a construct of your designs, or how much of it was an inspiration. Yeah. Oh man, great question. Uh, that that was a journey. Uh, it it started with me uh, going into. I've been I've been public speaking and public speaking training. I've been public speaking since eighth grade, just doing contests and stuff like that. And and by the time I was in university, I was teaching at another college public speaking. Um, and so I was at university getting a communications degree and I was at an art school teaching a communication class. And so it's always been a part of me. And about 10 years ago, not quite, probably not 
like tenure gosh like COVID, it just it turns everything into a blur doesn't it? like there's like two years of her life where we're just kind of like i don't know what was that pre or post um but yeah. a few years before COVID, i was like uh let's you know maybe i can turn this into into something um and there's a there's a greater story even behind that which we may or may not get into but as i started i started i'll be a communication consultant i work with businesses but it was really static it was good it was you know, I enjoyed it, but there was a creative element inside of me that was kind of wanting to to get out. And so I sat with that for a very long time. I sat with not marketing, not reaching out to clients, not networking, but just sitting and just being okay. And I was expecting the lightning bolt to come down from the sky and be like, oh, this is my life goal. But it kind of turned into sort of this slow seep of just like the dripping of, of water. And eventually it, it, it gets wet enough and you go, oh, I think I get it. Mm-hmm. And the idea of story amplifier, the terminology wasn't there yet, but how do we embed story into communication into our lives into our businesses or organizations or families or communities and in effect that's what can make the world a better place uh, among many other things but as far as my expertise what can i do to make the world a better place and then through some more iterations and through marketing and classes and talking to other people and taking surveys and all this stuff story amplifier emerged so that's the the cliff notes version of that it was it was definitely kind of a, a slow process to get there but i'm glad it caught your attention because it was a it was a year years of work to get to that point mm-hmm. so when you say in in embedding the story i don't immediately think that is the course of action for every particular case i think sometimes it's about recognizing the story and like as we say amp- amplifying it but then there might also be situations where a narrative hasn't been really identified or discovered and so it's a matter of what narrative can we can we build onto that if for no other reason than to have a narrative as part of the complete picture. So on uh, this is, I guess, a technical question, which I usually like to save towards the second half, but here we go. Do you <laughs> find, you know, with working with working with the clients throughout the time, was there a variance of, or what was the, the, the division? Like how much of it was like, okay, this is your story. We're going to enhance it. Or, okay, there's not really a story here, but I think I know what, Maybe I can tell the story for you and then help you build it. If you understand where I'm going with this, sometimes it's about figuring it out. Sometimes it's about adding it. Sometimes it's about recognizing it and creating it from scratch. Yeah. And it's such a, that's such a great, great question because everybody has a story and, and we, we, sometimes we think we don't like, ah, I'm just me. I started a business or I'm in sales or, uh, you know, I have a family or whatever. And it's kind of the story, but it feels general. And so, uh, but yet what we think is just kind of this general ho-hum story to somebody else can be fascinating. It can be connecting. Uh, and to bring that out, some people are, are very attuned to that, knowing that their life story is, is something that's a part of them. And, and it's affected just the mere fact that, that, you could be in a room of 10 people and that one person in a room, even if they say nothing, affects the room, affects the energy and the influence of the room. And it doesn't have to be the CEO. It could be just anybody. And so, and that's psychologically proven that we are so interconnected that just the mere presence of one another can cause an influence for good or for bad. And so out of that then comes a story. And I usually... And I, and I take the extreme examples, but it does help when I'm working with clients too, to say, oh yeah, maybe there is a story in there is one thing I'll ask. Well, first thing I'll say is I'll say, we either have 
extraordinary stories, stories that will captivate us, fascinate us. It turns into movies. You survived a plane crash, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've met people who have phenomenal encounters, survive hostage situations in foreign countries, like all sorts of things. It should be easy to craft a story from that. But most of us just are like, you know, I live my life. I built a business. I have a family. I have friends. I, you know, I have the day-to-day -day struggles. Uh, but out of that comes stories of connection. So we have these stories of inspiration that most of us will never encounter. But we also have these stories of connection that we can relate to. Have you ever been running late to go to the airport? Have you ever made a wrong turn on the highway? Have you ever gotten lost somewhere when you're traveling? Have you ever slept through your alarm and you missed your first class? Like whatever it is, when you when you can tell that story, then the audience, whether it's an audience of one or a thousand, will go, oh, I relate to that. I relate to that feeling of waking up and going, oh, crap. Right. And so both of these stories, not one is greater than the other because they're both service purpose. And so I'll explain that, which kind of opens up people to go, oh, yeah, I do have stories. And then I just say, what are your five top memories? Give me your five memories right now. Just write them down. Don't think about it. Just say, here's the first five memories I have in my life, because out of that, even if you don't have a story out of that, sometimes that springboards to other memories. So you have a memory and that leads to another memory and leads to another memory. We're talking about New York. Mm -hmm. So now I'm remembering about my grandmother and then, you know, driving through New York and her honking at people because she was a New York City cop. And so she was retired when I visited her. And it's it's weird to have a New York City cop as a woman in the 50s and 60s. And so to me, that was so ordinary. But now I look back and think, oh my gosh, she has extraordinary stories. I wish I was, you know, older when I could ask her more of those questions, but there's a story in there. But that kind of stemmed from just us having a conversation about going on holiday. So these stories can come out of anything. So after they write down their first, their top five stories out of that, or what springs out of that can be something that can be teased out a little bit and say, okay, let's craft this story. What does that kind of look like? And it, you, it doesn't have to be an hour. It doesn't have to be war and peace. It could be five sentences, six sentences mm -hmm. of a story. And you follow a pattern to create that story. Mm -hmm. Does that There's answer a, your question? It, it does. And there was a few things that came to my mind, although, you know, a little bit of a inside baseball, you know, as as host, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm micromanaging, right? Like I'm watching the time. I'm also making sure the recordings are smoothly. I got my question on the other side. So I got like a whole array here. So a lot of this stuff, gotcha. it, it sort of sinks in, but it really doesn't sink in until like I review it afterwards and like, oh yeah, that was good. But you, you, like there's, in spite of that, there's still a lot that came to my mind. And a couple of like particular pieces of media lately, because you were you were pointing out that while a lot of stories are relatable in that we people are going through situations that we may go through or have gone through, but then there's also stories that are difficult to relate to because the story beats are just not consistent with most people's experience. And the movie that came to my mind, I forget the exact number, but I think it was called like 128 Hours, the James Franco movie, where he it's based on a true story of somebody who was trapped under a rock for that X amount of time and he had to hack his own arm off. And that's yeah. sort of one way to describe the story. And it's yeah, totally there's there's a relatability aspect to it because we can see ourselves in some of the character in how the character aspires or wants to be adventurous or has family or has a commitment. But then there's also a part of it that we have no frame of reference for whatsoever. Right. Like I, I get, you know, if I'm sitting on a, on a bus and actually I'll tell you this cause you're in film. So you might find this interesting. So like I do background work and I was sitting in a bus cause we're shooting a, a bus scene and 
I felt fine until the crew starts coming in with the cameras and the boom microphones and all these setups and I couldn't get up. And that's when my claustrophobia totally kicked in because it was that loss of control. Point being is that I don't see myself being trapped under a rock anytime soon because rock climbing ain't for me. So <laughs> so that's what, what came to my mind. The other thing that came to my yeah. mind too was a Pixar movie called Soul. Have you seen this one? Uh-uh. It came about during the COVID blur. It might be one of the few Pixar movies that went right to Disney+. Plus. It wasn't even theaters. But it does talk about a person's entire lived experience and that if you were to go into this chamber and see your life lived out in these like 3D dioramas, you would see a lot of time spent on the bus or watching TV or eating or going to the bathroom. And it's a very sobering way to look at a person's lived experience and realize that, you know, a lot of it is just mundane and that there's there's the moments that that you don't really get we don't really spend much time writing about like i I watched Mad Men. i don't remember seeing many parts of an episode where you see people going to the washroom a few times because something significant to the story happened there so those are just a couple of the the thoughts that i had so let me summarize this as a question for you in terms of media you know any films or stories or books or anything come along lately that made you think a little bit differently about the nature of storytelling, whether the message they were trying to convey or just the way they formatted it? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I say that after all your questions. So, so far they're all great. It's, it's not even a, just a response. I, I, it's not even an automated response. Well, I appreciate response. hearing it. Uh, the, 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 other, the last guest, he's may have said that once or twice. And I said, look, it's not a KPI, but you know, it's, it's nice to hear. <laughs> it is. It is always yeah. nice to hear. Um, Gosh, yeah, it's 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 funny because I was just thinking uh, I, I can answer that question and and I can't remember it. There was something I was something I was watching. The, it'll come to me at some point, I'm sure. But something I was watching the other day. Oh, I know what it was. Of course, I, I'm so I'm rewatching the Indiana Jones movies because of the new one that's coming out. So just for fun, I've just been kind of having it on 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 streaming, and I've just been kind of set of half paying attention to it. But one of the things that was that was really it was really tight in the scene was you, you're introduced to Marion in the original Indiana Jones. The movie's more than four years old. It's like forty years old. So if you don't understand the plot, like there's a spoiler, it's too late. Sorry, the time has passed. The spoiler is going to be given. But the opening scene, she's having the drinking contest with somebody in her bar. And then as I'm watching it, and I'm kind of doing some work while I'm watching it, but then she's in the desert as a captive. And then she's drinking again with her 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 captor. And she, you know, because she shows that she drinks this big guy in her bar under the table. And now she out drinks her captor. And I thought, oh, that's really tight movie writing because you have this scene of somebody taking a drink and it loops back into the continuation of the story. It's not just showing she can hold her liquor, which some writing could be lazy and, and, and do this. And it's completely silly and it's very loose story writing. But watching, I think I've only seen two episodes, but FUBAR on Netflix, the director in it has a big scar on her cheek. And I really hope that's revealed because you could just kind of give her a scar and be like, okay, she's been through it. She's had a scar. There's a backstory. But if you have a little bit of revealing that tightens in the story, that just makes it a tighter, better storyline than what happens. I've noticed in FUBAR, the story, the storyline, it's meant to be comedic, of course, but it's really loose. Like the director doesn't know what to do. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger character and his the girl who plays his daughter is like, here's what we do. And then suddenly the director then has the plan in place where suddenly, you know, she says now all the details of the plan. I'm like, well, how did you not know what to do? And then know all the details just because somebody else had an idea. Yeah. That was very loose, messy story writing. Um, so it's funny because I noticed those kinds of things, but 
I think a reason why we notice that is because in our lives that happens to us. We do something that leads to something that leads to something that leads to something else. And if we're just aware of it, most of the time we're unconscious of it and can't remember it. But there's occasions when we go, oh yeah, this happened because, you know, two years ago I, I did this and this little thing was insignificant at the time, but now has become significant. And if we live with that awareness, we start to realize that there's stories in us all the time that can connect and inspire and work with other people. I, I'm, I'm racking my brain so hard to think of like something in particular along those lines. Um, closest, well, this is more of like a, just a self, self-deprecating, uh, but like um, some, we, we were at a uh, get together on uh, a few Sundays ago, one of the first Sundays when we had nice weather here and someone was doing an Instagram story and I saw myself for the first time in a long time turn to the side and I thought, oh boy, I, yeah, I was not happy with what I saw that day. So that little thing, <laughs> um, which was the result of a lot of decisions made prior to has now affected my decision making going forward. And you know, most other people wouldn't really have blunked twice at it because it's just this rapid loop. But for me, it was a, a pretty significant sign of like, okay, someone needs to count his calories. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're right, though. I mean, that is something. That insignificant thing became a moment that was of an impact that's actually caused a change in you personally. Mm-hmm. And how many times have, have we said hi to a stranger that then turns into a friend? or a relationship that insignificant moment of of saying hi or not saying hi then suddenly changes the course of the the, the course of one's life um and so we don't know that until we live it and look back on it but that's where the that's where the story drives mm-hmm. and that's where good story writing can have those types of things that tie in together even though life is certainly much more messy because you're right we don't have films of us going to the bathroom or taking long yeah. showers <laughs> part of the story and and thankfully so <laughs> Man, there's definitely a lot of like story and creative questions that I, I did not plan to ask, but I, I definitely want to ask. So I'll get one other one out of my system, and then I'm going to redirect us to sort of fill in the rest of your your backstory and what brought you to your online platform. There are a lot of driving factors in the human experience that inform the way we tell stories, and one of the most significant ones that we've worked on so far in this conversation is that something that you set up early on if your story is good, it will pay off or it will resolve towards the latter half. And to compare and draw a parallel between that and the human experience is that the things that we are imprinted on early on have much more of a significant impact on us as our life continues to unfold. Do you agree with that or do you th- have you seen instances of someone really able to find something to happen to them in their 30s or in their 40s or, you know, towards like the latter chapters that has such a significant imprint, it can almost overwrite a lot of what information had led up to that moment. Oh, wow. That's a challenging one. It is a challenging one. Yeah. And, 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 um, I can, I can speculate a little bit and, and going through a lot of my own healing journey, um, and from my own trauma and my own, and my own childhood. Um, I can say that significant events, can and I, I say this very generally and I, and and I don't want people to 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 take it and and kind of take it out of context but I think it can overwrite and change a previous story mm-hmm. but one of the things that we want to be careful of is to is to 
not ignore the previous story, not ignore the story of what happened when you were five because you had something else happened when you were 35, because sometimes we got to sit with that pain or sometimes we got to sit with that trauma and actually work on that story, you know, sure. um, even I, something like therapy or counseling or something. But the new story can create a new narrative. And 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 part of that then can actually start to determine to say, yeah, this story is still significant, but this story eventually birthed to this story. And this is the story I'm choosing to live out now, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, it's it's a matter of, you know, life is, is, is a cyclical thing. So at any given time, a beginning can become a beginning. It just so happens that there are certain influential factors that make earlier imprints a little harder to override, but it is still doable. And, you know, just transparently speaking is that I always look into my guests before I have the conversation. And so I do know that you lost your father at a very early age when you you said five years old. I I wasn't, I didn't go to the length of explicitly writing down. So how did you feel about your father passing? Like, I, you know, I I feel like, okay, what's, what's a, what's a question I know he's already answered, but then it just ended up coming up organically in a question that I wasn't even thinking about it. So, uh, as if I needed more evidence to the cynical nature of storytelling, oh, there you go. <laughs> well done. Thank you. So let's fill in the rest of your what brings you to today. So how did you sort of make your way into the online space and how and what brought you into the, the coaching realm that is the domain in which this podcast uh, resides? Yeah, yeah. It's a domain that I didn't think I would be in as as heavily as I'm in uh, until, as we all know, a pandemic hit. And I was just, you know, my, my speaking business uh, was was starting to kick off. I was doing personal coaching and teaching and and speaking. And then when that hit, of course, you know, that industry um, sort of went away for a while. And my videographer was like, well, you know, I'm going to learn social media and I'll help you with that. And I said, great, I'll start working on doing like online coaching. Let's see what that looks like. And so I had done a little bit of online coaching before then, because I can reach people obviously that aren't local to me, but that, that really kind of started to take off at that point because it was the only option available. But I ended up with clients from uh, England, Dubai, Latvia. Uh, and so uh, it, it it's, I still already had connections in Asia. So those, those kind of took off as well. Uh, I had somebody in the States uh, and, and being in Canada, there was somebody on the East coast of the United States. So it was kind of cool to be able to, to, to use that online platform. The, the, the challenge during that time, because I wasn't doing any public speaking, although I was transitioning to do sort of public speaking online, is to be able then to get all the equipment and get the background. And, you know, beforehand, I was like, oh, look, you can see my closet, you know, and so I was trying to like change things and buy curtains. And I've done, gone through many different iterations in, in my office, mm-hmm. getting a stand up desk, uh, which I'm not at now, but like all of these different things to sort of build that out so that people can kind of look and go, ah, impression okay this is good it's the beauty and you've been in film right where this looks beautiful in frame but you just extend outside a frame and there's like boxes and yeah exactly. stuff. There's, there's not here but yeah people smoking <laughs> cigarettes and just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right totally exactly still quietly it's okay um yeah so so that was a that was a build but it actually i actually began to really enjoy it and and one of the things that i've found even though there is a challenge of actually coaching speaking, coaching communication is is there's a challenge with with Zoom, of course, because there's there's always the fake eye contact. Because if I'm looking at the screen, you can't see that I'm actually looking at you. And if I'm looking right in the camera to 
allow you feel like I'm looking right at you, I can't actually see you. So we play this little game, or we should play this game. Lots of times people just stare at the screen the whole time. But I tell people, look at the camera, look at the screen, look at the camera, like just like real eye contact with a person where you don't stare them down, but you might look away and remember something and kind of look over at the, at, you know, what's on TV at the, at the restaurant. And then you look back at them again. And so you're kind of doing this little bit of a little bit of eye contact game, but it can be still very powerful and to make those connections. And I found that it can, it can be really successful and you can work with somebody in the comfort of their, of their living room. And you get them to, hey, stand back from the camera, have some space, let's move around. You're practicing a speech. Let's walk to the right. Let's walk to the left. What does it look like? How are you using your hand gestures? Um, so the coaching changed a lot from person to person to, okay, how do you look like when you meet somebody in person? How do you communicate effectively or tell your story? But also online when you do it, you know, maybe we want to see your hands a little bit. Maybe you're telling a story and you want to be able to, to do this. So you don't want to be really close to the camera yeah. because now we can't see your body language. And so we make those little adjustments. So it's actually been really fun. Now I'm doing a little bit of a hybrid now that the world's opening up. People want that face-to-face, -face, which I'm super excited about. I had my first group coaching class uh, for public speaking since the pandemic about six months ago. And I was so happy to see people face-to-face, -face. but I still really appreciate love and value the online platform because you can reach more people and it can still be immensely effective so but that's how it started and and now i kind of manage both spaces mm -hmm. did you by any chance notice or develop any particular um i'm looking for the word qualities or characteristics that made somebody perhaps uniquely suited to being an online speaker and and i don't mean that in the compensatory way where it's just about like trying to adapt to a new environment but if there was ways that people really flourished or excelled in a particularly unusual environment, such as, you know, being able to speak online on these spaces. The main thing that I noticed uh, was the voice, because now we're, we're you, you, there's, there's less body language. I can't see your feet. You know, I can't, I can't, you can't use grand gestures because nobody can see it unless you're standing far away. But then that looks a little bit weird too, if you're having a conversation with somebody. And so what, what I was doing in, in teaching adults and, and teenagers with teenagers, I'll be like, look at, look at YouTube, look at TikTok, look at adults, look at YouTube, look at TikTok. They're usually not talking like this when they're showing a story. Sometimes they are, and some of them do it effectively, but usually their voice inflection and the variety that they use and the pausing that they have in their voice creates a dynamic then that people go, Ooh, that's very engaging. Sometimes though there's the, there's sometimes you want to speed up and talk faster and other times you need to slow down too. And sometimes it depends on connection. And um, so that's kind of the main thing to look at the voice, but also background is really, is really important as well. If, if um, I just realized that this shirt is actually too light for where I am at now, I would have worn a darker shirt because I kind of blend into the background. I knew I wasn't going to wear a white shirt, um, <laughs> but it's a little more blue in real life. Um, but uh, but to have a little bit of color contrast as well, have something in the background, have a plant in the background, those types of things can be really good or use a virtual background, but don't do something that's too distracting or too too stimulating that distracts on the speaker, depending on the content, because you may have content where you want all that to happen and you want to walk in a really flat voice. But I usually tell people I have these rules in speaking and then all of them can be made to be broken. But as long as you understand what the rules are and why they're there, you, then you also understand why they can be broken, what the purpose is of breaking those rules. And so I establish that and then we start working creatively on what that might look like. Let's go, let's, let's see what the box looks like now. 
is there are there is occasions and opportunities to break the box open absolutely mm -hmm. but let's understand what's in the box first and i think a lot of this also leads into what platforms that the content assuming the content is being recorded is distributed to so i mean for instance for us like obviously we're uh, audio and video but then it can also be you know disseminated and distributed onto smaller social media platforms sorry not smaller in terms of scope but in terms of how the content is consumed and does does that uh, come into the equation at all when there is an awareness of you know where this content is being distributed and on top of that you know if you know that not only are you is this going to be in long form but if it could be cut up into shorter uh, content as well does that influence how you're coaching people yeah, yeah, absolutely does, um, and and even it, and it even starts to inform me, which is which has been a, a growth thing for me is uh, over the last couple of years is what am I communicating that can be a soundbite? What am I communicating that can be a quote or a meme or a ten second clip on Instagram or something like that? What can be pulled out of that? And so I actually start creating because I customize every message for for every speaking engagement I have. Is I start looking and and even though I I it's it's pretty organic the way I kind of start putting things together and mind mapping and all this stuff as I start looking what's in my head that can come out and go ooh that could be a quote I want to make sure I say this word for word when I get to this point even in a workshop where I might not have a whole like keynote memorized or internalized I say because memorization doesn't do it you want to get it mm -hmm. as an actor you want to get it inside of you so you're looking for those things to pull out and so and I and I teach my my clients and, and the students when I work with 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 teens and kids is to say find a memeable moment or find a quotable moment that you people can say oh I love that quote and then the way you deliver it is put a little pause before and after one it creates an impact on the current audience but two it's easier than to edit out and then you could put that into a video or something as well so yeah actually really really good point so I think in long form short form and also just something that's quotable the the fear that I I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a fear. It's definitely a concern or an anxiety towards it. Is just the rapidity of short form content has such a, a large influence on up and coming generations, and it does make me weary if there are certain rules that if you don't follow it, your your content is just not going to survive on on TikTok. Um, and what it's doing is that it's also leading into a new form of storytelling right now stories are being told in as short as like five to ten seconds uh, and then we have that and then on the other side there's also this is it's going to be a bit of a ways away but sooner or later we are all going to have virtual headsets and there's going to be a lot more 3d environment interaction you know, especially if we're hit with another major lockdown and you know people are just going to need to you know, get out and do things so there's a whole other realm that is only we're only just learning about and just be, begin this be, apple's only just started selling a product base for like three thousand dollars you know what i mean like when apple is is involved in it you know uh, something is is coming down the pipe so this is an open-ended question in in terms of you know metaverse or 3d reality or space or anything like that is, is that by any chance made its way into your radar or are you keeping an eye on it or is we're just kind of waiting to see what exactly will the storytellers even be doing there before we start figuring out how to guide people good point i think the um the the stories can be very effective in in five sentences um you know i was a happy five-year-old my dad died unexpectedly from there i was lost and confused for most of my life until i had a counselor tell me to go back and visit my dad's grave and i did and then that was the extension of my life moving forward i was able to say goodbye 
what was what eight seconds and that's a story certainly not as deep but can create people to go oh gosh it can create a curiosity so you can do that very quickly in short form whether no matter what platform you're on i am keeping an eye on it i'm not heavily involved in it yet because partly what i teach is i don't i didn't even use decks or powerpoint or anything like that and i still don't <laughs> when i speak in person if i'm doing virtual then i will use some because i want some visual engagement i'm very experiential i'll have the audience do things or respond to things just so they're not just sitting there passively listening to what i'm sharing i want them to to integrate what they're learning and when you're on zoom it's 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 or on a, some sort of platform that's a little bit harder so i will include a little bit of a little bit of visual and deck on occasion um and going into that space i i think like like the metaverse space can be cool because then it's all virtual and then you can actually storytelling still the same human nature is still the same you still have an instigating moment that joseph talked Joseph Campbell talks about your life goes a different direction. There's other people or things, videos, whatever that kind of help you, encourage you. You're not alone in your path. You go through a battle. Sometimes it's just in our own head, but then you come out and you're you're a new and different person. You can do that no matter whether you're face to face or talking in front of thousands or talking in a metaverse. All of that's going to be the same. So I am keeping aware of it. One of the it's funny you asked that because I actually had I was working with a, with a TEDx group of students. And they just given their TEDx event. But while one of them was writing it, one of them said, can I just write out what I want in chat GPT and then just have them write the speech for me? And I said, you can use it to help you formulate your thoughts, like if you put your thoughts in there. But I do not want you to memorize a chat GPT because there's no humanity in that. I want some, I want some rough humanity in there. So if you want to use it as an inspiration point to start, Sure, I'm not opposed to that. Let's utilize the technology that we have. Mm -hmm. But you, we're creating a human connection. We're not creating somebody who memorized something from an AI to try and carry connection because there will be no connection in that speech. Mm -hmm. um, and then he ended up writing, a, you know, he was like 15, he ended up writing a really good speech. So I'm glad he took my, I'm glad he took my advice and didn't just memorize a chat GPT. But yeah, those types of things will kind of start to inform what, what really is going to be, is going to be out there. I use it. I use it and be like, I want to say this on a marketing platform and I'll type something out and go, okay. I like the way ChatGPT kind of changed this. Now let me bring the human element back in so that I'm not just regurgitating what an AI thinks they said about me. Yeah, and, and you know, full transparency too is that like I, you know, I write show notes and do uh, descriptions, but sometimes I'll give the description to ChatGPT and says, uh, anything you want to add to this? And then it adds to it and like, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, so I, I agree with you, but I, I have a little bit more of an unusual take on it, whereas I don't think that, ChatGPT and by extension our accelerated AI is not that it's not human. The problem is that it's overcompensating for humanity because it's drawing in all of the influences from all of these different sources. So if you were to ask like AI, like, okay, well, you know, figure out what's a product to sell people, AI would be like, well, well, everybody breathes, right? So we should try selling oxygen to people. Like it get like yeah. it gets it a little too well and it misses that the human experience is one of flawed beauty. It's supposed to be imperfect. And so there's always supposed to be interesting choices as well as optimal choices to really cultivate the human experience. That's why I kind of appreciate image generation because the images come out looking messed up. And I'm like, I like that. I like that. That to me it kind of makes it its own format. All of us have like big T or little T trauma in our lives and chat GPT or AI doesn't have that, but that informs our humanity. That mm -hmm. informs connection and empathy with one another, curiosity. Those cannot be duplicated or replicated no matter how perfect the grammar or how perfect you know that 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 ai might be it's not going to duplicate the human experience of looking at somebody in the eye and seeing tears well up like that's yeah. just not going to happen 
Okay, I, I appreciate that. And just so the audience knows that there is a little bit of a, a time delay between us. So that's why we might have accidentally talked over each other. And I just realized I could just edit that out. So never mind. All right. So I just fixed it. But now we're keeping all of that because that was funny. So I think yeah, I think you're going to post. Yeah. I, I think uh, based off historical evidence, I think you'll appreciate this one. So you know, when attending a speaking engagement as an audience member, you know, I expect to be changed in some way by the time it's over. But as a speaker, do you recall any events where you felt really changed from the beginning of the speech to the end of the speech? I mean, you know what the content is going to be, but maybe something about the experience and the way you walked away from it made you think about things a little different. Every time. Every time. Yeah, every time. Um, because every time there's a, there's a, there's a massive human interaction and, and there's, there's, there's contests that I've been in where I didn't think I was going to win and I won. There's contests where I've been in where I thought I was going to win and I didn't win. And that changes me certainly afterwards when judges say certain things. Um, I usually don't do contests anymore, but, but also there's, there's times, two examples, uh, quick examples, but one is is several months ago, I went to a place, um, the host and I had talked several times. Uh, even when I was there, they're like, here's what I want you to do. I said, just want to make sure, what time do you want me to finish? Because it was a little bit more of a Lucy sort of holiday kind of party kind of thing. And uh, I finished and had some nice conversations, but energetically, I sort of missed there's something, there was something missing. And I didn't know what it was, but there was something in me that I'm like, what did I do wrong and I couldn't think of anything and then um she actually got back to me and she's like you were too long you were you were you I didn't want a workshop I wanted a speech but I'm like but we had talked about all that you wanted an interactive speech which is what I gave you I ended earlier than the time you gave me so it was a really weird disconnect but I felt that even during during the speech um it's the only time it's ever happened hundreds of times of being on stage it's the only time it's ever happened but it did help me step back and go, okay, what what did I miss? Like, what what questions do I need to ask a client moving forward? Even if it's one out of 100, I want to make sure that I serve my clients as best I can. Mm-hmm. What can I do better moving forward? And then fast forward a few months later, uh, there's one I just did where it was very, it was 90 minute keynote. So it was actually way longer than the 30 to 60 people generally give. And I thought, oh my gosh, they're going to get bored. And at the end, which was a surprise, because this is a little bit more of a business you know they're they're in the they were in the human uh, the work of working with humans so it wasn't it wasn't a room full of people working with numbers or scientists which are great i love working with all of them but they there was a little bit more energy in the room uh, because they tend to be a little bit more empathetic and energetic but after 90 minutes of doing it i was like that was really good and i didn't say that but i just finished the speech and then they gave me a standing ovation and i couldn't believe it because typically with what i do it doesn't you know it doesn't even the audience is typically not going to stand up because it is something that says well thank you very much for speaking to our marketing department or speaking to our company about this this was great thank you very much mm-hmm. so my reviews are always great but um standing ovations are 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 uh, a little bit rare and so i was but but through that i realized oh my gosh right i still can connect and whether it's in five sentences or 90 minutes you know there's it's like i, I guess the way to put it is that when i'm done I learn about myself and then I'm always spending this time of reflection afterwards, not just what did I do well, what do I need to improve upon, but but who am I? Because I just kind of, I'm very vulnerable in my speeches. So I, I generally, there's a, there's a human connection. There's an element there where I feel like I can trust anybody in this audience and they feel they can trust me too. And because of that connection and that human element that we just talked about, I'm changed because of it. 
And in some ways, I don't even know if it's tangible that I can say, well, I've changed because of this. I grew in confidence or I asked questions that that maybe I didn't ask before that I'm going to ask moving forward. Like all of those things I can kind of analyze. Mm-hmm. But part of it is just the essence of who I am has been has been changed. Um, who was the actor that said, are there any parts that like when you're done playing the role, is there any parts that kind of stick with you? And, and the response for the actor was like, yeah, all of them. You know, I, I've been changed by every single part I've ever played. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can I can relate to that as an actor, but I can also relate to it as a speaker. The actor that you're looking for isn't coming to my mind. So I just started thinking, like, who would be like the funniest? I feel like if Danny DeVito said that, it's like, yeah, yeah, I feel a different right. actor. Everyone. I'm like, every <laughs> right. season is always funny. I feel different. <laughs> right. I really feel right. like a changed man. Not that I could do an even remotely good Danny DeVito, but everybody can hear him in their own heads. And yeah, it's there you yeah. go. Yeah. You got an A for effort. That was great. It was yeah, it was a funny visual, so it was beautiful. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I love it. Love it. <laughs> so I uh, I'm going to shift into a, a technical uh, side of the question. Mm-hmm. Your you know what challenges are you? Is this both for you, but also you know your your clientele? Just like what challenges are you facing in terms of getting your message out? Like, are you having good luck or or poor luck in terms of like getting on social media, ranking on search engines, sharing content, anything along those lines? Yeah, it's um. And you're just exploring a lot of that now, especially now after the pandemic is like, well, where can I go? And so, um, you know, I, I, I'm reaching out to like different conferences that are coming up and just saying, Hey, you know, if you're just, just checking to see who makes the decision on speakers, like just very casually, just making introductions, a couple feeding things coming out. Uh, there's a couple platforms that I'm on where people are like, I need a speaker, a musician or whatever. And then they do a search and then I'm on there, um, and, and get a lot of my business from, from them. Um, and what I'm working on now, really what I'm focusing on is, is getting, uh, which sometimes is hard because once the moment is passed for the organization, they're done. They're moving. They're moving on. And and um, but but I'm always pushing for reviews. And and fortunately uh, for me, through all the all the work I put in it, so I'm not trying to toot my own horn too much. But I get really good reviews. Great. I'm glad you loved it. Can you leave a review on Google? Can you leave a review on Gig Salad or whatever? And so I get those. But sometimes I feel bad because I have to kind of chase them a little bit. I'm like, please, please, you know, please give me a review. It helps me. I don't want anybody to be disingenuous, but I also want to take advantage of that as well. So there's a little bit of balance there of me saying, I know that business, especially with what I do in the human business, a host who's going to host an event, uh, I have worked with enough of them that it's a huge fear to be like, okay, I've worked through this as a person. I know this person is a nightmare to work with. They're not responsive. They're not kind. Uh, they're not communicative. They came on, they gave their speech, they left, and the speech wasn't even that good, right? And then then they're the ones that look bad, right? And so I work really hard at making sure that I'm over-communicative uh, to just make sure, hey, is everything okay? Do you have any questions? What do you need from me? I've got a question for you. Can we hop on the phone really quick? I want to make sure that my message reaches your audience. Can you tell me a little bit about your audience? So it's all of that pre-work that goes in because I want to make sure that the host feels comfortable with that and that they're like, yeah, I made the right decision. And then when I leave, they're like, yeah, I made the right decision. But then I still have to like, you know, build on that and say, please tell me I was so awesome. For the most part, it works out okay. But sometimes I feel like I'm chasing a little bit because then I take those things and then I use that as my marketing material. It's not just my speaking and my quotes, it's the reviews. So I'm just starting to kind of compile all that now. And the struggle is, is that I don't, I'm not fully informed on what that looks like. And I don't fully have a system in place yet to do that. I'm just like trying these different things to see what 
to see what might work. It's it's working, but mm-hmm. I think it can work smoother. And that's kind of what I'm learning. It's through that stages of change where I'm in that that chaos stage right now. Just, okay, I see some things working, but I also see some things not working. And now I got to figure out, is this not working? Do I drop it or do I just tweak it? Like, what do I do with this? So, Mm -hmm. you know, stay tuned, but I think it's probably an ongoing, as soon as I figure it out, things will change and I have to do it again anyway. What I I find would be an an interesting challenge uh, where I in your shoes is that you have an, your best asset is obviously the quality of your speeches themselves, but you also don't want to necessarily show all of that because that's, what's going to also get you booked. So the, the the best thing that you can use to promote yourself is also the thing that you might need to withhold in keeping and protecting your value. So a lot of that supplementary yeah. value from the reviews and from the online presence is where it's really important for what, how people responded to it, right? Like, you know, in, in, in film, you see a lot of those promo commercials after a movie just yeah. like, so what are your thoughts on it? Like it blew me away. Oh, I was so right. Cool. Yeah. I'm like, well, that Transformers movie does do. seem to be pretty good then. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause I was skeptical. No shit against Transformers, by the way. Like, Some really? of them are not yeah. bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and there is a tension there because there is, one of the things that I promote is that human connection that you can't get off of a video clip or even a full YouTube, watch my whole speech, 45 minute speech somewhere, because you're still missing that, that human connection. And so I'm okay with giving a little bit more information because then somebody can see that and go, Oh, if they give, if, if, if he gives that same speech at our event or our conference or our company, then this is going to be amazing. And if the host sees that, that's that's fine. At the same time, you're right. I don't want to give away kind of everything because it is, it is proprietary. Like, like, information and stories and stuff that I give. Um, but but I do try and find a balance where if there's a nugget in there that the story that, that somebody says, when you said this, this struck me, then I'm like, mm, I, I might actually use this to promote myself because mm-hmm. a lot of people really like it. I don't want to be one of those where it's like, oh, you know, like a movie where it's like, wow, the previews were great, but the best part of the movie was just the previews, right? The rest of the movie was kind of down here and the previews are up here. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to do that. So it is a little bit of a balance and a little bit of intuition and in, in doing that. That's a good point. Well, I still remember, and this was way, way back, but there was a Cuba Gooding Jr. movie, Snow Dogs, where in the commercial, oh, yeah. there's a pretty heavenly, heavily featured scene where the dogs are talking and all the kids thought they were going to go watch a movie about talking dogs when it turns out it was right. not, that was a dream sequence and that the dogs were just dogs. So yeah, uh, it, yeah it's, it's just that. like a totally told totally a different story, right? People thought they were going to go in for one thing and then it just turned out to be something completely yeah. different. So, yeah. and <laughs> I am not defending that decision whatsoever, by the way, that was clearly a, a trap set for the kids. <laughs> no one's going to convince <laughs> right, me otherwise. Exactly. Yeah. So we're, we're closing in on like the last uh, 10 minutes or so. And there's, so because you, you have uh, prior sales experience, uh, and 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 I'm pretty sure we we talked about this uh, just briefly in the beginning. So you have to forgive me if I need to hear a few points again. But can you just cliff notes me your 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 sales experience in particular? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So I started. Uh, I dropped out of university the first time and got a sales job because it was easy. They're like, yeah, you will hire anybody. It was a telemarketing job. And turned out with my acting experience, even in like university and stuff and public speaking, I'm like, oh, you sound good on the phone. So I was like, all right. So I got promoted and all that. And then I ended up going back to university. Uh, after I graduated, I went back into sales because it was easy. It, to be honest, trying to find jobs completely stressed me out, gave me anxiety, couldn't sleep well. It was easier just to get any old job I could and just go, okay, now I can pay rent. Right. And it was, that was kind of my mentality at the time, but it ended up, you know, serving me very well. So I'd actually done service, you know, sales 
you know, off and on, but mostly on really for, for most of my life. Okay. Okay. And so in that, in those different environments, sales, now I've done a couple of, of sales roles too. So I've done some that were commission based and I don't have any, any beef with, um, with commission based because that's a fair and clear incentive. Although there have been situations where like I would be, I would have that luck where a customer comes in, another come in, another comes in and everyone's just ready to buy. And then my partner for the day is still working on the first customer that came in. And so it's for, for, for people who remember golden age Simpsons is that scene where Mr. Burns throws a ball and the ball just gradually makes its way towards the pins. And then everybody else in the opposing team are just knocking strike after strike after strike. (laughs) I felt bad. So, you know, if I had to come up with any beef for that, I would say, you know, a team based commission might not be such a bad idea. Obviously everyone has to hold each other accountable, but nothing's perfect. So I've always been fine with that. But what I've had a little bit of a harder time working out in my head. And I always thought that I was just the, the, I, I got the bad end of the deal and I wanted to bring it up today because I was really uh, curious to hear your perspective from it. So some of the sales roles that I've had, I would be expected to close, but my incentive was to continue working. So not, I'm not going to say what the business was because I do like the business, but the business said, okay, you had to make $600 today and your average sales needs to be 1.5 per customer, meaning don't just sell them the one thing, make sure you've upsold them as well. And if you if you got, if you got like 500 out of the $600, you'd be reprimanded for it. So it was really like, they, they, you know, they really pushed people, a lot, of, a lot of energy, a lot of initiative. It definitely developed a lot of my early habits that made me good at a lot of the jobs that I do. So there have been jobs afterwards were like, yeah, you know what? I, th- I think I tried harder because I was just like kind of conditioned to, to try harder on it. But I don't, but that to me is a very minimal incentive considering how much of a drive there is to uh, sell that product. So have you dealt with any like unusual configurations or any systems that kind of rubbed you the wrong way or you just felt like, I don't know if I'm being given a fair shake here? Yeah, a lot. Uh, and And really it's, for me, because I'm I'm deeply empathetic, uh, and and I and I really have a desire. I'm in some. I have to be mindful of boundaries, but I but I have a desire absolutely to 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 help other people. Um, and um, so so when I've worked in sales, it's if I believed in the company, the boundary was oh, I don't have to work. 18 hours a day, right? I can, I still take some self-care and sleep and, you know, do the workout, you know, but there's other places that I've been where organizations and companies were after the money. Um, They were after the bottom line and and they could pay you handsomely for it or maybe not, but the drive was always the money, but I've never been driven by money. I've been driven by helping other people and, and, you know, sales when I've been in sales has been really good for that because if I can help people, if I believe in the product or service, then absolutely I can help them. I can put my energy and my focus into it and I can do extremely, extremely well and have done extremely well in sales with things I believe in. I have massively struggled with things when I'm like, you guys are just after money and it's a crap product. Mm-hmm. And then I go through the motions and most of what I do is just sit around and talk to people. My first job when I moved to Vancouver because, um, the job I thought I had fell through and I was, I was on the verge of homelessness. My mom ended up paying my rent while I was trying to get on my feet. And the first job I had was selling, selling lottery, foreign lottery tickets, like calling overseas, like calling, I can tell this business 
you fell apart. So I don't, I don't mind talking about it anyway, but I was calling people in like England to try and sell them like German lottery tickets. And I'm in Vancouver, like making these phone calls and I could not, I could not do it because I'm calling these retired people. And unless I knew they were incredibly wealthy and was like, Oh, I just want to blow money on German lottery tickets. Then I'm like, <laughs> I can't, I can't do it. Um, and so I just had, I had all these lovely conversations with retired people in England, but I, my, my sales was at the bottom. Of, of everything i would make like two dollars like literally two dollars a commission a paycheck um and the pay was like minimum wage i still wasn't making money so i didn't i didn't last it very long i'm like i have to go i cannot do this um and so i have to believe in it and if i believe in it then i can create that connection with somebody then it's not about the product or the service it's about the person and then i'm okay if they're not a fit for me to say it's okay mm-hmm. because there's somebody else that there will be a fit and then you know and places like that I've always exceeded, you know, any sort of sales goals or anything like that that I've had. But I always tell people, look for something that you believe in. If you, if you want to do or you're in sales, look something that, that that gets your heart going, that gets your mind going, that gets you excited about it because you're doing a genuine service to other people. And then it's not sales and it's almost like it's consulting. You're building relationships. You're using influence. It's not just selling somebody a product or service. Well, I, I appreciate that. And it, it, it's semi answers, but it's also warming up to the the second half of the question here, uh, which I'm going to ask, and then we do have to wrap this up. So, what we what we discussed in terms of connecting with the customer and the term that I will often be you know told to use is story selling, which is is just finding that genuine connection. And I've always made peace with sales in the sense that I like the idea that I'm helping validate somebody's decision and guiding them to make sure that they're happy with it rather than be like the closer. And so, you know, some the way some of these companies, you know, want us to sell was just like entirely out of persuasion. It's like, oh, this would be great for Father's Day or, you know, this belt matches that watch. And for the more they drove us to sell the fewer tools they gave us to work with so like no promotional tools no negotiation on price whatsoever no short-term offers to create urgency and to put it as bluntly as i can it's like they expected us to just hypnotize people into buying something and not meet them halfway so let me ask this in a way that i think is fair is how much do you do you did you find that the connection and the story selling was tantamount to the sale and how much of it do you feel you also needed some tools and some, and some cards to play in order to be able to properly negotiate your way to a close? Yeah, no, good question. Cause you, you, one, I think really needs, needs both. Um, it, it starts with the connection. It starts with the human element because if you're just going to try and convince them to buy a product or service, even if you, you sell it, it's it's going to be kind of an icky feeling for them. You know, you're not going to get a whole lot of repeat customers or something like that happens. Um, but the incentives, it, it you know, I've known people who are very incentivized by different commission structures and things like that as well. And I, I can get incentivized by that as well. Um, I, I sold uh, real estate software, um, CRM management systems for real estate agents. And so they would be like, you know, anybody in the next, you know, hour that can bring in a sale gets this, right? And and so you, you kind of, you focus a little bit more. You're like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and shove something down somebody's throat, but maybe I'm going to talk to my friend over here a little bit less and maybe I'm mm-hmm. going to wait and take my lunch and I'm just going to really like focus on on reaching out to the leads that have inquired and try and get a hold of somebody with a little bit more urgency. So those kind of tools can be really helpful. Uh, but when you make that connection, um, then it's about the connection. And maybe there is a little bit more 
a little bit more urgency of of convincing or weeding them out a little bit faster and and making that story a little bit shorter to say oh i got to get to the next person because there's always going to be a little bit of that balance there but you don't want to do disservice to the to the customer um so there is both when i did that when i did that job you know most people would come in and they would say so why are you looking at real estate software um but i would say why are you a real estate agent because i wanted to get Mm -hmm. to their story um, and then they would say, oh, I did that. And, and I would inquire further. Well, you know, you've been in real estate, you know, you just started in real estate, you know, like 98% of real estate agents fail in the first five years. Like what's possessed you to do this? You know, and I'm not trying to scare them. I'm trying to get that story. I'm trying to get that why. Hey, you've been doing it for 20 years. Why are you looking at a new system? Like obviously you've been very successful because most real estate agents fail. Why? What's What's your secret to success? And then I get that story out. And then you ask and you get curious and you ask more and you get more curious and then you can provide a solution. And then you have this bank of their story. And then if 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 the organization you work for has the different tools then that can help you, now you can craft something right to them. You can say, well, based on what you said, you know, 10 minutes ago, here's what we need. Usually somebody presents a problem when you immediately want to find a solution. But what if we got curious about that problem and ask some deeper questions? What does that look like for them? Um, and so as we go deeper into those questions, oh, the problem is you're disorganized, but the disorganization means you're inefficient, which means you're losing money, which means you can't put your kids through college. And right mm-hmm. now they're in grade nine and you're looking ahead. This is not about you being organized. This is about you taking care of your children. Okay, now let's craft something that's going to work for you because now you've gotten to the heart of the matter. And so sometimes that first question doesn't actually answer the real desire. And But our temptation is to go, well, this will organize everything in your life. And then we go, oh, that's nice, but it's very transactional. If they say, well, I found something else that actually does more organization for me, then you go, uh, then you're kind of out. You don't know what else to do. Well, I'll give you a discount, right? Then we're starting to haggle over price and that doesn't do anything. But if you get to the heart of the matter and make a connection, then they leave and they go, I really like that guy or I really like that person. And then we rise to the top. Even if there's somebody else that might have an equal or better product, we're still getting consideration because we've made that human connection and they can trust us. Does that, does that help? That was, that uh, almost made me want to go out and try doing sales again. Honestly, that was like really, really <laughs> interesting. I, it, I may have heard bits and pieces of it from other people in the past, but I think yeah. just that figuring out what was their motivation, what brought them to the table, uh, especially because you're doing B2B, right? So like they're, they make career yeah. choices as well. And so it's, it, it creates a completely fair and, um, yeah, like really moral and ethical personal connection with them while also driving it back into the professional reason there in the first place. So yeah, no, definitely answer the question. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, 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 yeah okay. I'll check that box. Yeah, no worries, no worries. Yeah, okay. um, we do got a, this, this has been a great conversation. I was looking forward to this all day yes. and I was really, really surprised and delighted with some of the, of the answers that I got today. So I just wanted to say once more, <laughs> sincerely, thank you for your time. Uh, yeah. If you do have any online platforms or socials or LinkedIn profiles or webinars, link trees, whatever it is you want to let the audience know about, uh, just let us know how they might go about connecting with you. Yeah, everything is is David. My best way is just go to my website because uh, it's davidfish.ca. So F-I-S-H, davidfish.ca. Um, and then from there, you can get on LinkedIn or, or um, Instagram or anything like that as well. Um, but I'm also davidfish.ca. I think it's davidfish.ca and LinkedIn and davidfish.ca and Instagram. But if you start on my website, it'll all link there. So uh, okay. you can also email me david at davidfish.ca. So yeah, plenty of ways to, to get a hold of me, but hopefully that's an, that's an easy way to do it. 
All right. Sounds good to me. Well, and, and thank you to David and thank you to everybody, as always, for uh, giving me this opportunity to do what I do. And I'll, if you want to reach out to me or whether it's for me or just for the show, you can email joseph at impactfulcoachingpodcast.com. It is spelt the way you think. And so with that, it, <laughs> we are going to wrap the show up. But as we will not always say, because I'm still working on the sign off, but the the, the open beta of the sign-off is there are many things that we can aspire to do, and it is our hope, our desire, and our drive to encourage you to, no matter what, be impactful at it. I like that. Just need a little more tweaks, and then we're good. Really close. All right.